Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today we are going to talk about 25 reasons that we should ban vaccine passports. Now, Pastor Aaron just wrote an article on this and posted it to Pursuit of Glory. Uh, So if you head over to pursuitofglory.org, you can read all 25 of those reasons. However, today we can't cover all 25, but we'll cover a few of them and get a little bit more in depth into what Aaron is uh, saying here in the article. And so, Aaron, if you want to start us off, the first one you write in your article of the 25 reasons to reject vaccine passports is this. The government takes the role of the physician. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. So, you know, what we're used to as we uh, look for medical advice is, you know, we each have a family doctor, we go to a walk-in clinic and we get assessed and looked at as individuals. Our medical records are made available to our prescribing physician or our surgeons. And then they would apply their medical knowledge to our unique situation. But uh, vaccine passports just sort of erase that. And instead, the state, the government, becomes everyone's physician. And their solution to the virus is the same for everybody. Mass vaccinations, everybody gets the same vaccines, everybody gets the two shots, maybe a booster following that. We're concerned that this might set the, a precedent for you know future viral outbreaks or various medical procedures that we're not even thinking about right now that may be foisted upon us by the government. So for those that may not be aware, vaccine passports, by the way, are basically certificates or paperwork, electronic or tangible certificates that are being uh, utilized in, in Quebec. And uh, they're being discussed on a federal level across Canada. They're also being used overseas in places like France so that if you're in a restaurant, you know, the police come tapping on your shoulder and, and you get out. So they're, they're very dangerous in that they, they limit people's access to, um, you know, goods, services, entertainment, sort of the, the broader economy. And, um, but what's more concerning, uh, you know, behind the scenes is that, again, as I mentioned, the, the state sort of takes the role of your personal doctor. Well, my body chemistry is different than yours. You know, we may have different allergic reactions. We may have, I may have a heart condition. You may not. You may have a liver condition. I may not. Um, you know, we're at different ages and stages of life. And just to sort of carte blanche prescribe uh, a medical treatment, and let's just keep in mind it's still not fully authorized or approved, on everyone is is very dangerous. And I think this is one of the main reasons why we should reject state-sponsored blanket vaccinations, you know, essentially against people's will. Yes. And uh, as you were mentioning in the article as well, this is now even hitting um, in Ontario already university campuses like Western University is mandating it for this fall, not just for students on residence, which was original, but for more as well. Yeah. We have people saying this is a responsible thing to do. It's thoroughly irresponsible to require blanket vaccinations for everyone. Keep in mind too, so let's just suppose that a 12-year-old shows up at one of these vaccine clinics, their parents have no idea that they're there. 
uh, well, they can get a shot. Well, how do we know this kid hasn't already had three shots or four shots? Because every time they show up, they get a you know, free hot dog or something like that. Um, you know, they're, they're not required to, to provide their medical records. The, you know, the attending nurse or who was there, who's ever giving this shot has no knowledge of this person's history. And, you know, not to mention the fact that the parents are not involved. So it's, it's, I, I would just label this as foolhardy and, and irresponsible. Now, one of the uh, second or third and fourth points, I think, in your article, you mentioned about manufacturers and their liability being dismissed, as well as manufacturers having access to limited pro- unlimited profits based off of this. How should that concern us? Well, we know that people are people and um, individuals that started these pharmaceutical companies, obviously, they've grown into huge corporate conglomerates. You know, many of them are producing high quality products, but in, in the current situation, you know, they, they sort of have to take care of their own marketing, make sure that the product is tested, make sure that, you know, things go through proper procedures. And I I think in, in, in all due fairness to the manufacturers of these vaccines, the scientists that are employed there, they're, they're doing, you know, as best as they can, but imagine a world within which, these pharmaceutical companies have literally unlimited access to the population. The government is requiring vaccinations for everyone. Imagine a world like that. And um, these pharmaceutical companies essentially are guaranteed that their product is going to sell because the state is behind it. I mean, we know that Moderna just struck a deal with the federal government to build a vaccine production plant here in Canada, location yet to be determined. And the government is footing some of the bill for that. So this is not a this is not what we would call an arm's length agreement. You know, this is this is not like a separation of powers or interests. Everything sort of becomes intertwined, and one can imagine that as things progress, uh, what uh, confidence can we have as the public that these manufacturers are not overcharging or maybe cutting some corners or failing to go through you know adequate tests in order to produce their product. I was talking to a friend of mine who's an engineer and uh, he was telling me, you know, when they produce a part for, let's say, a vehicle that you don't throw it on a vehicle, drive around the block a few times and say, hey, it works. Let's put it into production. You run it through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tests. You essentially s- simulate uh the equivalent of 15 years, let's say, of wear and tear on that part, and then you measure its effectiveness. Like, is it actually effective? Well, this is what we should be doing with vaccines as well. You know, vaccines are produced. They should be administered to a limited group of volunteers. They should be tested over and over and over and over again over an extended period of time, simulating, you know, five years, 10 years, whatever it might be. And then we can have the assurance that, you know, these are quality vaccines that can be rolled out and made available voluntarily to the public. But when all those uh, checks and balances are essentially cast aside and you're just guaranteed the sale of your product, I think this should cause a great deal of concern for people. And no, I'm not just going to trust these corporate conglomerates to continue to produce uh, adequate supplies and medical materials because I know a thing or two about human nature. And human nature is to cut corners. Human nature is to focus on the bottom line. And you got to be a total fool, uh, you know, not to have some suspicion or at least to, 
uh, expect that, you know, third parties, for example, would inspect and make sure that things are up to snuff. So this should concern us. Yeah. And not only that, I think there is a guarantee of um, freedom from liability for these companies as well. Well, that's the thing right now. So we have, I think, a little over 70% of the Canadian public has received their first shot and a certain percentage has received their second shot. Well, the government is very clearly clearly interested in having 100% of the people vaccinated. Um, Who's going to pay the bill if, and, you know, Lord willing, there'll be no side effects of significant proportion, although there's already some information out there suggesting there is. But let's just assume there were no side effects. You know, in a perfect world, there's no side effects. Well, that that's great. But if there are side effects, presumably they would affect a significant number of people. And the pharmaceutical companies can just wash their hands. So they've been paid for the product, but they have no liability to, you know, pay out to families who may have lost loved ones or people who may have ongoing, um, you know, issues with strokes or blood clotting or there's one medical article I read, and I'm sure it's not going to make it into the mainstream media, but it's at least questioning the effect of these vaccines on female ovaries, placenta, you know, kind of reproductive system. So um, if you get to produce a vaccine, Chris, or Mm -hmm. any product, you're guaranteed by the government, every citizen's going to get it. There's no liability for you whatsoever. I mean, this is like a cash cow. And um, I think that should be you know, more than mildly concerning to thoughtful people. Mm -hmm. Now, absolutely, there will be side effects to the vaccine rollout, whether it's the vaccine itself or what the government uh, grabs for power. And we're seeing that even in the whole COVID, um, well, the whole experience that we've had. And so the sixth thing you wrote on your article was that bodily autonomy is denied by vaccine passports. Can you explain that to us? I understand that we live in a village per se, you know, we, we live, we rub shoulders with one another. We're in proximity to others. And I, I, I completely understand the argument that there's a responsibility to, you know, not unnecessarily expose other people to contagions and all that sort of thing. I've actually read the Bible a few times and the Bible has something to say about that, you know, in mm-hmm. the Levitical laws about quarantining the sick and so forth. But if you think about what's going on, vaccine passports completely fail to honor any shred of bodily autonomy, even if, A, you have the antibodies because you've already recovered from the COVID-19 virus, or B, you have, you know, you're tested and you have nothing in you. You have no viral load whatsoever. Now, some would say, oh, but, but you know, people deserve to know if you have viral load. So we run our PCR tests and, you know, we keep spinning them around and around and around to try to get the numbers we want. But I wonder if the Canadian public is aware that the Supreme Court ruled years ago with regard to HIV. So HIV was a very significant threat, a going concern, especially back in the 80s. I remember when I was a kid, this was the talk of the town, the HIV virus. And it's still, um, you know, a very dangerous virus. But the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that a person who's HIV positive can go and have sex with another person without even telling that person that you're HIV positive, as long as you take adequate precautions. And those adequate precautions would include proof that you have a low viral load, not a non-existent viral load, but a low viral load. And you you or your partner are wearing a condom, depending on whether you're the male or the female. 
So that's that's a decision, a ruling by the Supreme Court of Canada. So think about that. Uh, uh, if I had HIV, I could go have sex with whoever I wanted. I don't have to tell the other people that I have it because I'm I'm exercising a reasonable degree of precautions. And it's like, well, they don't deserve to know my medical health history, even though I would be in an intimate sexual relationship mm-hmm. with them. There's nothing more intimate and physical than that. But then we have the situation where, let's say, uh, I don't have uh, COVID-19. I, I have a test. There's, there's, there's not, there, not only do I have a low viral load, I have none. Mm-hmm. I still have to get a shot and I have to produce documentation to prove to the world that I'm safe. Like you see the discrepancy there. Mm-hmm. It's it's a double standard. And the reason why it's a double standard is because of public opinion. This is what people need to, to continue to harp at. So much of this is driven by public opinion. It's not popular to stigmatize people with HIV, especially if they're connected to, let's say, the LGBTQ community. You don't do that. You can't do that. The government will stand beside you. They'll, they will defend you. The Supreme Court will rule in your favor because, you know, HIV, we don't want to stigmatize people with HIV. But it's, it's fair game to stigmatize people with COVID-19 or even people without COVID-19 who don't have a vaccine. So there, this should concern us as well, these, these double standards. Let's stop saying that these decisions are based upon the science. Science relates to you know, our understanding of the virus, how it mutates, how it spreads, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the structure of the virus. That's the science part. Vaccine passports have nothing to do with science. They're driven by political considerations, by polling and, and by politicians trying to figure out what they think the, the public wants from them. And on that note about the public, those of you that live in Ontario should be aware. Um, Doug Ford had come out saying, I believe that he would not do vaccine passports, but I'm seeing increased number of articles that say small business or not necessarily small business businesses are demanding and pressuring him to roll out vaccine passports. Oh, and yeah. so we're sure. seeing and the media, a lot of pressure. I would say to the media, the mainstream media, which for the most part is disgusting. The mainstream media is actually carrying that narrative forward. So the people I talk to, and we all have our own circles of influence, the people I talk to, for the most part, aren't in favor of this. Many of them are highly opposed to it. But, you know, the media, of course, is in downtown metropolitan areas. They're probably targeting a different crowd. But I I wonder how much of this is media-driven. We've seen this in our own, you know, Windsor Star newspaper where, Columnists, opinion columnists like Ann Jarvis, she essentially carries the narrative around for the public. She's mm-hmm. always weighing in on it. This is the danger of these opinion columns when you have people passing themselves off as journalists and media. They're essentially just bloggers. They're just blogging out their mm-hmm. own opinions as you or I would do. And it's being accepted as, as fact and they're influencing uh, you know, the, the public in that respect. So moving on, you have um, number 12. I think this is a particularly hot button issue in some ways, or at least it was several months ago and likely will be in this fall. Vaccine passports, uh, they are not required to save ICUs. So lay that out for us. Okay. So first of all, I don't believe for a moment that all the ICUs in Canada have ever been filled, especially not to the degree that the media has been proclaiming. Why do I, why do I say that? Um, well, if you're looking for me to produce photographic evidence, I don't have it because you're not allowed in the ICUs. 
but I have multiple friends and multiple acquaintances that work in or who have been in the hospitals during these periods of time. And what they see and witness in the hospitals don't line up with what Mm -hmm. the media reports, okay? And I'm going to trust a large group from a variety of backgrounds of friends that I know over some obscure media personality that's known to lie and bend the story any day of the week. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, if you're looking for data, don't have it, but I have lots of anecdotal evidence that even in Windsor here, you know, I received some messages from people that work in the Windsor hospital when the ICU was full, right? It was full. Mm -hmm. And they said, Aaron, it's true. The ICUs are full, but a lot of the people here are admitted because of the lockdowns because of delayed surgeries, drug overdoses, et cetera. So that's not the kind of spin that we get. It's the same when they say, well, the, the, you know, the, 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 the funeral homes can't keep up the, you know, we get or you have them, crates yeah. out front, right? The more, what do they call them? Morgues, portable yep. morgues. Well, yeah, you're going to start stacking bodies up outside the hospital when, when the funeral homes are backed up because the, the protocols to get into the funeral homes and make arrangements for your family uh, is, uh, you know, near, near to impossible. And I'll talk about death statistics in a moment. But so that's just a little sidebar. I don't believe the narrative that all the ICUs, I think there's some that were pretty stretched, but we know every single winter, you can Google it on your own folks. Yep. Every single winter, our ICUs are overrun. Okay. That's a fact. We know this. It's always been the case for years and years and years. But let's just talk about these vaccines so right now, let's just use the number 70%. I think it's a little higher. 70% of the population gets vaccinated. Well, assuming that these vaccines work, they're supposed to work. That's why they're mandating them. You now have 30% that aren't vaccinated. Well, pre-vaccinations, we had you know, a death rate of 0.0001%, some very small fraction of people who contracted COVID-19, went to the hospital and died from it, a very small percent. That's 0.0001, whatever it is, percent of 100% of the population. Well, if the vaccines work, now you only have to worry about 30% of the population. And so if the same ratio applies and 0.0001% of the 30% are admitted to the hospital and die how on earth, when you've essentially taken seven out of 10 people out of the equation, mm-hmm. can you possibly be concerned about ICUs being overrun with COVID-19 patients? The only way that you could possibly justify a concern that the ICUs would be overrun with COVID-19 patients is if you're not telling us the truth about what happened in the last lockdowns or the vaccination programs don't work. So you can't they, they can't have it both ways, right? Mm-hmm. They can't say... The way out of this is vaccines, but, well, everybody's vaccinated now. We're also concerned about, you know, ICU capacities. Sorry, at some point in time, it becomes a pretty lame argument. And if there's something I'm missing in all of that, you know, some detail or some, um, you know, piece of information that's known only to the experts, then tell the public. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're common sense people. If seven out of 10 people are no longer no longer have to worry about going into the ICU, well, how on earth can your ICUs possibly be overrun again with people, uh, a very small percentage of people that aren't vaccinated? 
I think those numbers would make sense. And uh, I think that it's a, a very, a, a very good question for people to mull over in their mind. Okay. Number 14, they legalize discrimination. This is a huge one that we have to be super on guard for. So can you walk us through that? Well, you know, I'm a pastor. So I look in the articles for references to the church. And I think it was a CTV article that was talking about the rollout of these federal vaccine passports here in Canada and possibly connecting them up to, you know, the domestic situation, which is basically provincial concern. Mm -hmm. So in Canada, each province has its own healthcare system. So in order for the federal government to even know who's been vaccinated and kind of integrate you into their system, they would have to have access to provincial records and registries, et cetera. So I don't believe for a moment that our premier or other premiers aren't seriously considering vaccine passports. Uh, they've already lied to us multiple times and played the role of the hypocrite. I don't trust them anymore. And so I think we should be concerned about vaccine passports provincially and um, internationally. But to this point, uh, my concern is that these passports will be used to limit church attendance. Obviously, mm -hmm. they're going to be used to limit attendance at you know, theaters, kind of non-essential venues, et cetera. Well, a lot of the places we go to socialize, to interact, to buy and sell are have been labeled as non-essential by the government. So what you're creating under this passport system is two classifications of people, two classifications mm -hmm. of citizens. Those that have been coerced or willingly have received the vaccine and those that medically can't or have chosen for whatever reason not to receive the vaccine. So you have two classifications of people. Notice how upset the world gets whenever we talk about racism, black, white racism, colonialism, um, you know, indigenous issues, uh, discrimination against LGBTQ, discrimination, discrimination against those with the HIV virus, discrimination between men and women, ageism, on and on and on. We're constantly inundated with this message. You can't discriminate. Under no circumstances can you discriminate. Even if there's some quote-unquote logical reason where you can prove that one group of people is different than the other group of people and you have to treat them differently. I'm not suggesting that's true. Just saying even if you could come up with that, uh, you're not allowed to discriminate. But all of a sudden, we just toss all that aside. And while the world is attending BLM rallies and indigenous marches to speak out against these injustices, while well, you're allowed to discriminate between vaccinated people and non-vaccinated people. Why? Why? What threat? are non-vaccinated people to vaccinated people if our vaccines work. Mm -hmm. It's nonsense. But, the, um, you know, we know from history that people in power love to control their population. And I think that's exactly what this is going on. This is, I didn't used to believe it so much, but I'm starting to think it's it's largely about control. It's about power. It's about re-election campaigns and party politics. Trudeau in Ottawa appears to be getting ready for a federal election. Ford here in Ontario is looking at an election possibly next year. They want to pull well. So they're going to do what the citizen citizenship wants them to do. And the citizenship 
is frankly, for the most part, stupid. And so they're going to do whatever the media decides is apropos. And we need to speak out against this. Intelligent people need to speak out against this and push back. Absolutely. And please do that. Uh, please do push back. Okay. Another one you've got on the list, uh, these vaccine passports, they reflect the behavior of despots. Did I say that properly? Yeah. Despots, okay. um, you know, ty tyrants, right? So we, one of the most tyrannical regimes in the world today is China. We get a lot of things from China. And there is a lot of good things about China and Chinese culture and all that. But I've been there a couple times and I have had firsthand conversations with people who have been subjected to some pretty, um, you know, dehumanizing um, punishments, penalties, have lost relatives um, for pastoring a church, you know, in state custody. We know there's a lot of discrimination there and persecution of uh, minorities. It's not a nice place. They're despots. They're tyrants. They control everything. Biblically, you know, when the, when in the book of Revelation, it talks about, you know, the beast and there's different interpretations on who the beast is and when the beast will come and so forth. But the beast, which represents minimally the, the world system, a despotic, tyrannical leader, uh, places a mark, you know, the mark of the beast on people in order that they might buy and sell. So this figure is controlling. You think, well, what's he controlling? He's controlling the economy because, you know, we're creatures of a physical order and people need to be able to buy and sell. It's just part and parcel of the way things work in a physical world. He controls the economy. Now, I'm not suggesting that the vaccine's the mark of the beast, but it is a prefiguring or at least a patterning of that kind of behavior. What do despots do? They control economies. What do despots do? They control people's movements. What do despots do? They control people's access to work, access to family, access to education. So for some weird reason, it would seem like most contemporary Canadians are completely ignorant of, of, of history, not just biblical history or biblical eschatology, but they're completely ignorant of history. They don't understand, folks, these are the patterns that despots uh, foist upon their people. And even though you may have grown up in a society where you think, well, the state's in charge of everything. No, it's not. We are free and unencumbered citizens. We live in this land. We willfully came here. We are free, unencumbered, autonomous individuals. We, the state does not have authority over our marriages. It does not have authority over our families, the education of our children. It has never been granted uh, in, in Western culture this degree of control over our health. It's certainly not granted any of that in Scripture, mm -hmm. uh, aside from, you know, godly people quarantining the sick. That's it. That's 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 a just act by a benevolent government. Beyond that, it has no authority. Mm -hmm. So I'm not gonna bow down to this absurdity. I, I I don't need to divulge to my listeners whether I'm vaccinated, not vaccinated, will be, might be, was. It's nobody's business but mine. And it's certainly not the business of the state. 
to control injections into my body. And so um, what we're seeing is, is I don't care how well-meaning uh, what the motive of these people are. This is the, I just, I just judge behavior. I don't need to worry about the rest. These are the actions of despots and tyrants, and they must be resisted at all costs. Okay. And we'll talk about resistance a little bit more in a few minutes, hopefully. But uh, before we get there, a couple more points. You talk about this being a denial of parental authority. And you did just mention that, um, that parents don't have the, the, or, yeah, well, the state's not meant to take the parents' responsibility in that way. But can you just speak to that for a moment? Well, right now in, in our country, a 12-year-old child, a preteen, you're not even a teenager yet, much less an adult. You're like, you're two rungs down. You're a, you're a kid. A 12-year-old can go to a clinic and receive a shot, as I mentioned, without records. Okay, that's just foolish. But let's say they correct that. Okay, you got to bring your records. Folks, read Deuteronomy 6. You're responsible for your kids to teach them in the ways of the Lord. You're, they're your children. They come from your body. And unless you're committing criminal acts against your children, in which case the state carries the sword and is lawfully authorized by God to intervene. But aside from that, the state has no authority what you feed your kid or what time your kid goes to bed or whether your kid's vaccinated or unvaccinated or brushes their teeth or you know, whatever plays baseball or football or soccer. They have no authority in that regard. But the state is, you know, increasingly playing the role of, um, you know, mother and father, and and, and it's wrong. Um, you know, I, another thing for people to be aware of, although I think most people are, is the, the chances of a healthy... 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 25, 30-year-old with no comorbidities, contracting COVID-19 and dying from it are pretty close to zero, right? We, we know this now. This virus targets primarily, with some exceptions, people with known comorbidities. Mm -hmm. Asthma, you're overweight, you have... Um, you know, immune deficiencies, aside from the efficacy of the vaccine, we know that. So why are we running around indiscriminately vaccinating all these kids? Presumably a good chunk of them have the antibodies already anyway, like in this mad rush to get them all injected. What if there's some problem with this vaccine? I have a friend who was a physician in uh, in Iraq, and she was telling me, I think it was back in like 1984, there was a vaccine that was rolled out in Africa. It might have been Nigeria. And, you know, they vaccinated all these kids. And five, 10 years later, when these kids are having kids, there's all these syndromes that are being experienced by their offspring. Well, I know it's not apples to apples, but that's not that long ago. Mm -hmm. And, we, you know, we sh we're wise to learn from history. Um, those that are terrified of... of um, you know, uh, dying and sort of are driven by, you know, it's like, this is a mad rush. This is an emergency folks. It's not an emergency. Okay. The stats are out. We know this, mm -hmm. the stats are out. The death rates aren't significantly different in 2020 than they were in 2019. So you, you can check this out online on reputable websites. Canada's population was around 37 million, 600,000 people 
37,600,000 people in 2019, and there were a total of 284,000 recorded deaths in our country. So I'll just give you that again. Mm-hmm. 37 million, just shy of 600,000 people population-wise, and around 284,000 deaths. So 2020, the population goes up by about 411,000 people. Mm-hmm. So now we're right around, in 2020, right around 38 million people. And the death rate goes up 14,000 to uh, 300,000 people. This is deaths across the country in every province of every cause. So you have you increase the population by 411,000. And you increase the death rate because that's when the you know the, the pandemic touched down by you know thirteen to fifteen thousand. Okay, uh, like unless the word pandemic means extremely minor increase in overall deaths, this isn't a pandemic. It's like you're not allowed to say that. Well, uh, that that's the stat. Those are the stats. Mm-hmm. We we don't have. Um, a significant increase statistically in deaths in Canada from 2019 to 2020. We just don't. So unless stats can, and all these statisticians are lying to us too, why would they try to reduce the rate to, to look out there and think, oh, we're all dying. We got to get our little kids vaccinated. It's you know the end of the world. It's Armageddon if we don't get shots into arms. It's such absurdity. It's such absurdity, but this absurdity is being promoted and promulgated and preached by pastors and some physicians, not all, and um, educators and mayors and premiers. And it's like people have lost their minds. Mm-hmm. Like, chill out, everybody. Uh, things are better than they they seem, according to the news. Uh, we can get through this if we exercise a little bit of common sense and caution, but let's not make the mistake of completely rewriting the, the rules as to what it means to be a Canadian and tossing liberty aside, which was hard fought for, you know, for the sake of mitigating against one viral threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we see, we've talked about this in previous episodes about the worldview of it all, because people look to vaccines as a savior of sorts and are clearly uh, seeing that as a savior, which is why they cling to it so much, um, which yeah, it some, may be helpful, but yeah, it may- some do like I have family members, good friends. Um, again, I'm not going to divulge my own status um, who have been vaccinated and they're fine. Mm-hmm. And um, they chose to get it. I know others who don't want to get it at all. And they're just under extreme duress because their employers are saying you're get it or you're done. Mm-hmm. That's disgusting. And I don't know if we will ever know this, but we are hearing of some older folks getting strokes and people that have died, uh, younger people. We got a message recently of a younger fellow that died of some sort of an enlarged heart. And you know, are they tied to these vaccines? I don't know. How do I know? Mm-hmm. But you start hearing these stories and you're like, well, you know, maybe we should exercise a little caution here. Mm -hmm. But not when we're being led by elected officials who are very much interested in party politics and getting reelected. This is the downside to a democracy, right? The downside to a democracy 
is manipulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks that are wanting to get reelected, you're basically, we have democracy on election day. And after that, we have no democracy. They do what they want. It's about partisan politics and about re-election. You know, we need to rethink that, by the way, as Western peoples, whether the kind of democracy we're experiencing is actually the best form of government. I don't think it is because of the the, the, the sin factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a subject for another day. But it is a concern when, you, you know, you, you feel it in your bones. We're being manipulated. We're being lied to. We're being exposed to fake medicine in the name of science. Um you know, which is actually political. There is a scientific part to this. Good science. I know good scientists. I trust good scientists. There is a disease out there. There's a nasty virus, which has taken life. But again, the absolute imbalance, the hypocrisy, the, the politics, the will, the opportunism that we're seeing in all of this is, is really hard to stomach. Mm-hmm. Now, I know many of our listeners will be like, amen. We agree with you 100% ban vaccine passports. And if you're living in Quebec or living in somewhere in province in Canada, and it looks like there's a reality of vaccine passports and they're kind of throwing up their hands saying, what is there left to do? We agree we should ban them. Uh, maybe you can give just a few pointers to people um, as to what the next steps could be. Well, we need to pray, pray, pray that God supernaturally intervenes and takes these um, uh, lies out of our culture um, preach the truth repeatedly. That's why we're doing this podcast. That's why we preach hard. We preach hard because few are preaching at all on mm-hmm. these subjects. So we have to be a, a bit louder, a bit more boisterous to kind of get the word out. Um, so we need to, we, we got here by lies. We get out by truth. So we keep preaching the truth, preaching the truth, relentlessly preaching the truth, exposing the lies. And then very practically, you know, writing to your MPs, calling them incessantly, <laughs> Petitions probably aren't super helpful. Politicians couldn't care less about them. The courts probably aren't on our side. Um, you know, I'm hearing that increasingly. So, you know, file the lawsuits, the charter challenges, that's great. But we have to go after the officials. We have to put pressure on them to, um, uh, you know, do the right thing and and uh, and, and not comply, not mm-hmm. comply against our consciences. We cannot comply against our consciences. It would also be wise for Christians to... Um, uh, and this is a bit more of a long-term thing, but other uh, minority groups do this. We need almost like underground economies. What I mean by that is Christians need to start their own businesses. Christians need to hire Christians. They need to employ one another. They need to support each other's businesses. They need to extricate themselves as much as they can. You can never do it entirely from the world system. But if, you know, 100% of your church is working for the corporate giants because they pay the most money and all the corporate giants say, this is what you're doing. You know, people, they say, jump and you say, how high? Well, then you're already sort of connected to the system so tightly, you have no other options. Um, you know, when, when it comes to things like universities mandating vaccines, well, here's an idea. Just don't send your students. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the end of the world. The civilizations got along just fine for thousands of years without university degrees. Mm-hmm. Now, some there there are some good schools out there. Um, you, know, you may have to go far afield for them if you if you're called into more of a professional type of occupation. But if it, if it's optional, you don't really have to go and earn that degree. Punish the universities. Don't give them your tuition money. Mm-hmm. Punish the public schools. Don't send your kids to the public schools. If they're going to mandate this kind of garbage, uh, 
in our culture and society, hit them where it hurts. Don't give them your money. Mm-hmm. If there's businesses that are ca- cracking down hard on their uh, employees and saying, you know, you have to be vaccinated, we're not going to shop at your stores. We're not going to support your business. We're going to mm-hmm. start our own thing. We're going to support each other. Um, so Christians need to band together. Uh, the, the church is very fragmented. We're, we're kind of independent thinkers. It's just sort of me and Jesus hanging out as the typical Christian mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're just waiting to get to heaven. But in the here and now, it's wise for Christians to, you know, form homeschooling cohorts, start their own businesses, support one another economically, you know, maybe live in closer proximity to one another. I'm a big advocate of forming, you know, beachheads across the provinces, across the province where Christians can migrate to, to increase the presence in order to have more pushback, political clout in in a given area. These are all like long-term um effects, but sitting around at home getting mad is not a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, getting bummed out and depressed is not a solution. You can run to another country. I'm not entirely sure you can really hide mm-hmm. because this worldview is crippling Western culture. Mm-hmm. And it may be a little more heinous right now in countries like Canada or Australia, but don't kid yourself. It's it's rapidly taking hold you know, in the United States of America as well. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, thank you for sharing that, Aaron. Again, for our listeners, that's the 25 reasons to ban vaccine passports. Uh, Just a sampling of some of those points from Aaron's article that he just wrote and published on pursuitofglory.org. And so you can head over to the website there. That'll be in the show notes. So you can make sure to uh, check that out. Also want to remind some of our listeners here who may have the chance to get over to Tennessee uh, this September. There is the Politics of Sex Conference put on by the Fight, Laugh, Feast Club uh, or Fight, Fight, Laugh, Feast Network rather. And if you are Fight, Laugh, Feast Club member, you get a $100 discount on that. And so that's a really good opportunity uh, that's very close, just around the corner uh, to make sure. Unfortunately, it looks like the U.S. is going to bring in vaccines uh, mandatory for international travelers. So it might make some of our Canadian listeners a little hard to get there if they're on the one side of the fence. But at any rate, check out the show notes and we'll have uh, links to that as well. Just a reminder that you can listen to us on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network uh, podcast, which is found easily in their app. So look that up. And also we are heard on CJXC Radio, Canada's constant Christian companion at 11 a.m. Tuesdays and on Thursdays at 11 p.m. as well. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you to our listeners. Make sure to tune in next week for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.